0: there was doubt in my mind on whether I could actually do this and you know two and a half magical months later we found ourselves cycling down Second Avenue in New York City and my life would never be the same.
1: You love adventure sports? Well, this is the Adventure Sports Podcast. We've got a great show for you today. Stay tuned. Hello and welcome to the Adventure Sports Podcast. This is your host, Kurt Linville. We have a great guest for you today. Willie Weir is an adventure traveler who prefers to travel by bicycle. He and his wife, Kat, live in Seattle. And Willie is also an author, having written two books, and an inspirational speaker who does a fantastic job. He has been a columnist for Adventure Cyclist magazine for 17 years. He likes to think of himself as a traveler who discovered a bicycle, rather than a bicycler who discovered travel. So Willie, welcome to the program.
0: It's a pleasure.
1: Well, Willie... I just kind of gave a brief sketch of who you are. Will you take a few minutes to tell our listeners about yourself and about your adventure traveling on a bicycle?
0: Sure. Um, I was born in Sacramento, California, Uh, moved up to Seattle. I I majored in theater only because uh, as a biology major, I was kind of flunking out, and I figured I could get my Bachelor of Arts in in theater and and decided to move up to Seattle to work in theater. And and lucky enough, uh, was cast pretty soon after I arrived in town and, and managed to make a living in theater for about about six years, uh, but something that happened earlier on in my life that kept coming back in my mind was that when I was 19 years old, I bicycled across the country with my best buddy, Tomas, we uh, did the old part of the Bicentennial Route, which is now the Adventure Cycling Association, but their route went from west to east coast, and we could only afford the first section of their maps, and so we kind of uh, realized we were going to have to wing it after, uh, after the western states. And, you know, two and a half magical months later, and I have to say that I had no, there was doubt in my mind on whether I could actually do this. And, you know, two and a half magical months later, we found ourselves cycling down Second Avenue in New York City. And my life would never be the same. Um, I really thought that that was going to be the only trip I ever took. I can you know I thought I'd be you know in in my eighties telling my kids you know while I was in my motor home somewhere uh you know this trip I did once on a bicycle, but when the travel bug hit again uh, and I thought about backpacking and I thought about you know being on a train or you know so whatever, I had to be honest with myself and to realize what had made that trip so incredible was the vehicle I was using. And over the years, I have discovered, you know, for me, the bicycle is one of the last forms of innocent transportation. There is something about a bicycle that allows you to experience the world like you can't in many other ways. And part of that is that the bicycle has this innocence about it that allows people, and you're also vulnerable when you're on a bicycle. Uh, And that can be a negative but the positive is, is that when you're vulnerable, people are willing to be vulnerable with you. Um, there isn't a whole lot you can hide on a bicycle. A bicycle also uh, sends that message that you're on a journey. Uh, if you don't have a backpack, people would look, uh, you know, is this person a vagrant or I don't know what. But something about a bicycle uh, does uh, does that, and it transforms what could just be a trip into an adventure, an adventure, a cultural adventure, a spiritual adventure, you name it, that you get when you're able to share in the lives of people. And originally it was the United States, and my second trip was across Canada. Um, And then I have to say that um, one of the things that changed for me was that I finally, well, I was, going to, I was going to do trips in Australia and Scotland and Ireland and New Zealand, and I finally had to admit to myself that I was afraid to travel in a country where I didn't speak the language. And I was on my way down uh, on Amtrak uh, to do a trip across the southern United States, and I thought to myself, you know what, I'm not sure that's going to be an adventure, unfortunately I' a passport with me because I changed my mind, and when you 're alone, you can change your mind um, it pretty easily and I went south and, and instead of going east and I went into Mexico and within forty eight hours of crossing that border, uh, the fears just melted away yeah because I realized that my incredibly poor Spanish, which I had a hard time even you know um, being able to get a passing grade in high school. Uh, the moment I tried to speak it, the smiles on people's faces, and all of uh, all of that fear, which of course usually sits and marinates with you when you're at home trying to think about what you're going to do, just just melted away, and that opened up the rest of the world. And that's when I realized that I needed to really needed to, to do this more, and have done lots of it.
1: Well, you have traveled over sixty thousand miles all over the world now, so you've done a lot of it. Will you give us a little bit of a feel for the places that you've gone?
0: Well, i've I've done fifteen trips of three months or more over the last, you know, many years. Now, half of them with my with my wife, uh, and it started out with a trip across the United States, and then a, a three month trip across Canada. That was probably the longest one, about ten thousand kilometers. Trip in Mexico. Uh, The year after that, I did uh, three months, uh, three and a half months in uh, all the countries of Central America, and then a four and a half month journey in New Zealand, a five month journey in India, a five month journey in South Africa. The year after Nelson Mandela was elected president, a five year, uh, five uh, month trip in the Balkans. Uh, right after the pretty soon after the fall of Enver Hoja, not long after the sniper barriers had been taken down in Sarajevo, uh, a, a three-month trip in Cuba, uh, and a three-month trip in, in Turkey, uh three-month trip in the southern United States, uh, Southeast Asia a couple of times, uh, Colombia and Venezuela. Uh, and I find, you know, I'm, I realize as I'm, as I'm aging, and I'm, I'm actually the exact same age as Barack Obama. We were both born on August 4th, 1961. Uh, he has now more gray hair than I do. But <laughs> you realize that I'm not going to get to all the countries. And I, and I have to say that I really don't want to anymore. Um, I've discovered that the bicycle is really best when you are discovering and exploring a, small, a smaller area bicycles are meant for for smaller spaces unless you have a lot of time uh what happens is that when people decide to do grand journeys and and well gonna we have to back up on that a little bit i i now you know because a lot of people ask me about bike travel and how and why and what and i say you know the first thing you have to ask yourself is why do you want to travel what is your purpose because if you don't answer that question, you can, and especially if you're traveling with somebody else and discuss that with them, you can really screw things up because why are you traveling? Are you traveling for just the physical, you know, for me, the first time I bicycled across the country, the most important thing was about me, whether I could get there. I hadn't cycled all those mountain passes before and the miles and the heat and, you know, uh, headwinds and whatever. But overall, and it was, you know, mileage, my God, you know, it was 4,200 miles across the United States. And I remember that first trip, I had I had all the stats. I mean, daily mileage, average mileage, you know, how many times we'd cycled over 100 miles and whatever. And, you know, I don't even have an odometer anymore. And I found that in the last, in my, that was 1981 was my first trip. Uh, so, you know, over 30 years ago. And in that time period, there's been a slow arc of transition from miles to memories. And I remember very, very specifically when I was traveling in India, I was, uh, you know, again, it was huge distances. Often I'd have to travel. But I remember one night I came into this, this uh Small village, and very often a small village in India is about thirty thousand people. Uh, and I was trying to find a place to, to. I found this hotel, and it was probably the most god awful, flea bag, horrible hotel I've ever experienced. I mean, uh, there were rats, there were fleas, there were mosquitoes, there were, and it was one of those just horrible nights of my life. And I got on my bicycle as absolutely as soon as I could in the morning, and I pedaled up this hill and up over the ridge, and there was this brand new hotel. In fact, it was so new <laughs> that the owner came out and said, Hello! And, oh, my God, you know, we must stay here. And, and I was like, well, you know, I've, I've cycled one kilometer today. And he said, No, no, we were just opening up. You'd be our first guest. And, you know, if, if that trip had been 10 years earlier, I would have been, You know what? I do 60 to 85 miles a day. And sorry, see you later. But... In the long run, I realized when those moments in a journey show themselves to have something that's extra, you know, that, that ability to to spend a day with, with somebody whose business is first opening up or whatever it is, that you need to grab them because there are plenty of the boring days that are going to happen when, when quote, nothing happens. And they're the gems along the way. And I think the better travelers – just spot the gems before that people would just pass by. And I looked at this man, and I said, I would be delighted. And so I cycled one kilometer that day (laughs) and stayed in the hotel. And of course, I got a chance to meet the man's family and and neighbors. and It was just fabulous. And so for me, it's the memories that I I look to keep. And, you know, the kilometers, um, I don't have... uh, I have a desire to to you know, cycle uh, from Alaska to Tierra del Fuego, or to cycle, you know, from from the uh, West Europe across the Soviet Union, in a sense anymore, because in order to really do that, I'd have to be cycling on the major highways. My wife and I cycled for uh, three months, uh, two I mean, two and a half months in Colombia, and the rest of the time in, in Venezuela, um, and. I know so many people who have cycled and they're on the Pan American Highway because they're doing that big trip. Now, the Pan American right. Highway is like the Interstate 5 of, of, you know, South America. And we cycled on that road for one half of one day. And my wife said, just get me the hell off this highway. Major trucks, no shoulders on the road. It was horrible. But this was the road that people were pedaling on to stay safe because that's what they've been told. We were there in 2008, that point when Colombia was just kind of opening up um, as far as travel and I mean, as general travel. We decided to cycle uh, Colombia and Venezuela, had bought tickets to Bogota, round-trip tickets, and then started looking up information and talking to travelers. And I always tell people, if you're gonna travel internationally, this, just for God's sake, don't go to the State Department's website. Because it is just a fear factory. That thing will make you afraid to go anywhere other than the United States. Because of course <laughs> sure. they're not going to tell you about murders and whatever here. You know somebody gets shot in Guatemala City and they put a black mark over. You know it's like well, boy, they they don't use the same you know yardstick on themselves. So and and don't uh, don't listen to people who all of a sudden say you know I had a friend whose hairdresser's brother. Had an acquaintance who was blah, 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 and, and I'd never go there. I mean, it's the first thing when people start talking to you about a destination you're thinking about going, ask them this Have you been there? And if they haven't been there, you know, end, end of conversation, because people are just going to spout what they've heard on television or whatever. Uh, talk to other travelers. And we talked to other travelers about Colombia, and we found out they said, Okay, Columbia is safe to travel in, but you have to be on the main highway. You have to be on the main road that was kind of depressing in fact it was kind of the first trip that i really wasn't looking forward to now that i had this information but we had non-refundable round trip tickets three days before we left i got an email from somebody now i've i started writing commentaries for public radio uh the station in seattle from india and had done commentaries for every trip since then and so uh had several trips under my belt and lots of commentaries on the air and this woman emailed me, and I didn't recognize the email address. She says, you know, you don't know me, but I've been listening to you on the radio for years. And I have a friend. I went to, I went to school with him, and he's a really interesting guy, and you might want to meet him. And his name is Enrique Peñalosa. And I thought to myself, the Enrique now this is this is the equivalent of somebody saying you know i have a friend and he's a cyclist and blah blah and you may you know like to meet him his name is Lance Armstrong i mean uh <laughs> Enrique Penulosa in a bicycle advocacy world um this is a former mayor of bogota which used to be one of the most dangerous cities on the planet to uh, to to uh, live in and he and other mayors prior to him transform that city and anybody in the bicycle advocacy movement has heard of ciclovia ciclovia happens in bogota every single sunday from 7 a.m to 2 p.m and holidays and they close down 120 kilometers of major arterials in the city of bogota a city of 9 million people Wow. And 30% of the population of that city participate in Ciclovia every single week. Two million people. Now, now, go around the world, and if you've been to major cities of five million plus, you realize they're pressure cookers. They're traffic, and pollution, and tension, and whatever. And, and as we get a chance to meet Enrique. And, and hear what this event really was because he said you know this isn't necessarily just about exercise this is this is about people this is about equity because you know if you talk to people who live in the city they will tell you that they love Bogota, and you immediately know that you know prior that they had a helicopter or whatever where they left the city and went to their their island or mountain retreat he goes but what about the rest of the people What about people who don't have the money to leave the city? That is what this event is. And we had the chance to ride in Ciclovia and it is one of the most moving experiences I've ever had is to have one Part of one day, every single week, where you own the city and people on bikes and 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 skateboards and walking. Man, if you want to teach your kid to ride a bicycle, in Bogota you do it on Sunday morning because man, there's a four-lane road out there and it doesn't have any cars or buses or whatever on it, and it's throughout you know it's throughout the city 120 kilometers. So we had the chance oh, to. Mean meet Enrique and we're there with his, in this meeting and I really thought he was going to just talk about Ciclavia but the first thing he did is he said, show me your map, where are you going to go? And so I kind of, uh, I took it out because I was a little embarrassed and I, I looked and I, I basically put my finger along the route which was the main highway because we figured our, our journey in Colombia was only going to be about two and a half weeks from what we'd talked to and literally talked about dozens of people and I showed him, I put my finger over that route and he looked at me and he said this isn't my country this is the truck route he goes do you want to see my country i mean really see it and we said well yes and he goes well, okay and he t- and he looked up and he started tracing these routes. Within twenty minutes he'd probably trace out about two years worth of cycling we could have done in Columbia. And he'd say like, Okay, see this road here? This road goes up in the mountain. Oh, you're gonna have to walk your bicycle, but oh it is so worth it there. And then you have to cross over in this area here. He goes, you know, you're probably gonna meet FARC here, the gorillas. He goes, but you know what, you're two Americans on bicycles. They won't know what to do with you. Okay, so and
1: um <laughs> you know, we had already on. had
0: dozens of people tell us, Okay, main highways, that is it. I mean, 100% of the people that we had talked or, or emailed or whatever had given us that information, and one person told us, no, no, leave that main highway and see my country. And you know what? If it wasn't Enrique Peñalosa, who I already just you know, idolized in a lot of ways, and my wife had some of the same feelings, we left, we left that meeting and realized that that's exactly what we were going to do. And we ended up calling it. In fact, the, the feature that I wrote for Venture Cyclist magazine was called Enrique's Colombia, because what happened is that on a bicycle, if you're on a, you know, if you're on a racing bicycle, you can ride from Bogota to Medellin in about three days. And it took us two and a half weeks because when you're on the little roads, they follow the drainages of the rivers and, sure. you know, you're in the mountains. And so we probably, where the main highway probably climbed 11,000 feet, we probably climbed 90,000 feet On dirt roads. And there were times when we came into, one of the first mountain villages we came into had sandbags and a machine gun behind, and the guys were like, what are you (laughs) doing here? And we said, well, Enrique sent us. And we were treated so incredibly well.
1: you love mountains you are not alone jerry roach is well known for his extraordinary and detailed guidebook colorado 14ers but did you know that jerry has written 15 books including guidebooks to 13ers indian peaks rocky mountain national park and more but he has also written narratives about a lifetime of mountaineering full of jerry's insights and humor if you like adventure then these books are for you Jerry Roach's books can be purchased at his website, summitsite.com, that's S-U-M-M-I-T-S-I-G-H-T.com, as well as on Amazon and in bookstores near you. If you're thinking about your future, think about Fort Lewis College in Durango, Colorado. Think a beautiful mountain campus where hiking, biking, kayaking, and snow riding are right outside your door. Think a friendly community buzzing with music, arts, events, and sports. Think faculty mentors, real research, and professional experiences that prepare you to both make a living and make a life. If you think college should be an adventure, think Fort Lewis College. See for yourself at fortlewis.edu.
0: One morning we were at a, at a truck stop because you know, truckers they know where to eat and stopped in there having uh, breakfast. And this man came up to us, found out where we were from, saw our bicycles, and he looked and he said, Thank you so much for taking the time to see my country. And then he left, and we finished breakfast and walked up to pay and found out that he'd paid for our breakfast. And that happened oh, more nice. than once. The people they're so proud of their country which had been so trashed in the media for so long. Um but then again those those off beaten places. And so um you know and, and and you know making that decision to follow Enrique's advice was almost in a sense decades in the coming. Because I'm not sure a young traveler of me would have thought, okay, I'm I'm going to go with the low percentage odds here. And this, there's this guy who's telling me to, to you know follow the small roads. And I have you know 36 travelers are telling me don't even think about it. Um, but you get this gut sense of, of trust um, that that comes, I think, from traveling for a, a long time. You don't always make the right decision. You just make more of the right decisions. I
1: think. Wow, that's that's really neat. What a fabulous account of what a person can encounter when they leave their front door and and start going out into the world to really meet the people, right? I like it that you pointed yeah, oh, exactly. out. Yeah, you pointed out that it was less about the the stats or the distance or setting some record, it quickly became about the memories for you. And at the adventure sports podcast, we visit about that a lot. It's it's the memories that matter. You know, it those things are so valuable. It's just a treasure to have. A variety of, of experiences that you can enjoy and lean on and share with others and it's the memories. That's what it's really all about.
0: Now that is not to discount just the effort in, that, it, that it takes and without doing the miles and the mountain passes ahead of time you, you can't Uh, You can't enjoy the adventure much. If if your butt hurts so much that you can't sit down, or you're so exhausted that the only thing you can do is open up a can of something, drink it, and get into your tent, uh, there's only so much uh, experience that you can have talking to the locals or whatever. So, you know, being in good physical shape only makes you a better traveler because it allows you to not be focused on yourself. Uh, I think that would ha- that's what happens to people on their first bike trips and maybe or, or any kind of you know kind of adventure uh, journey that they get so physically taxed that they. Miss out on so much of the joy of traveling that they don't want to do it again. And right. and, and you know, and once you've experienced it that enough, you can you know, I have to say I probably don't train as much as I used to. And and of course now that I'm <laughs> now that I'm over fifty, uh, I'm realizing that oh, you pay for that more than you used to pay for it. So. <laughs> sure.
1: Well, let's visit about that a little bit. Why would you encourage people to travel? on a bicycle. And you already mentioned get into shape, right? That sort of thing. But give us a little mm-hmm. bit of advice. Number one, why why would you encourage people to do it? But also give us some tips. What should they do to get ready for this?
0: Well, okay. First, I'm going to tell you a story and it might be, at least for me, that the first time I really got it I was cycling across Canada and uh, started from my Apartment in Seattle, and went up to Vancouver, and shot across. uh, Went up north, Edmonton, and Saskatoon, and down uh, down uh, towards Thunder Bay. Uh, Ended up, and and I didn't have I didn't have any contacts in in Canada. I had one contact. A buddy of mine went to Stanford, and his roommate lived in Montreal, and he had given me his uh, name and had let uh, let know that I was going to arrive there someday. And I got in touch with Gaetan, and it just so happened that I cycled into Montreal on Saint-Jean-Baptiste Day. Now, this is, like, this is like the party day of the year, you know, for mm. French Canadians. <clears throat> and so I'm cycling into the city, and there's this car that comes up alongside of me and just starts to edge me off. I thought, oh, my God, what's happening? And, and I stopped my bicycle, and this woman got out and said, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Seattle. She goes, do you have a place to stay? And I said, uh, actually, I do, but thank you. That's really great. Well, <laughs> that happened to me 11 times on my way across Montreal to get to Gaetan's apartment. I was offered 11 places to stay.
1: Wow! I was just a
0: guy with a bicycle with tanyers on a festival day. So I get to Gaetan's apartment. And Gaetan greets me, I meet him, and he goes, you know, Willie, I, um, actually, I have to be calm this evening. I'm going to go visit my mother-in-law, and believe me, you don't want to come. So um, you have from the brunt of my apartment. This is a great night to be up in Montreal. There's parties going on everywhere. Now, this was a great opportunity for me because when you're in a big city on a bicycle, it's hard because you've got all your gear with you that's pretty vulnerable, And like, if you want to go inside some place, you've got to worry about all your stuff. So I had a place to park my bicycle that was secure, and I could just wander the city. This is great. So I walked out and walked into the first neighborhood, I walked in and blocked off traffic or whatever, and there were these picnic tables set up, and there were people And I and I looked, and I looked over at this man and I smiled at him as I walked toward him, and he literally turned his back on me. Wow, I thought, wow. Man, I'm I'm in the wrong neighborhood because so far Montreal has just been, you know, hospitality city. What's going on here? And I found that reaction second, third time. Not everybody turned their back on me, but it was just not the vibe I was expecting. And then it dawned on me. I realized my bicycle was back at the apartment. I went back to the apartment, and I hadn't even taken the panniers off. And so I just walked my bike through that same route and I came upon that first neighborhood, and there was that man. And he looked at me, and he smiled, and he waved me over. And I said, where are you from? Oh, and he said, I have some food. Would you like a glass of wine? And I said, wow. sir, sir, now, do, do you mind if I ask you a question? Once we, we found out, you know, I think the first thing he asked me was, do you speak French? And I said, no. He goes, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Seattle. He goes, that's okay, because if you're from Canada, we'll speak French or nothing at all. And, uh, but since I was an American, that was okay to <laughs> speak English. And, uh, so I said, do you mind if I ask you a question? He goes, sure. I said, I was here like half an hour ago and, and, and you turned your back on me. I think you remember this. And he goes, yes, yes, yes. I said, why? He goes, oh, half an hour ago, you were a tourist. And now I see by the bicycle with all those bags on it, that you are a traveler and you right. have earned that glass of wine. That's the difference. And you know what? I'm not interested in traveling the world as a tourist. It's not that interesting for me. And the difference, you know, and, and I can have traveled, you know, I can have walked or done whatever, but without that physical sign of the bicycle with the panniers or whatever, it screams adventure. And it screams, and, you know, people love to vicariously be involved in it. And because they want that, you're, you're going to have experiences that other people can't have.
1: Wow, that's interesting. So the bicycle is the, is the human interest pass. It, it gives yeah, you exactly. the, the, the get-to-meet-people-for-free card.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, exactly. I mean, even South Africa. I mean, I, I, I cycled in the former homelands of South Africa the year after Nelson Mandela was elected president. And, I mean, I called the whole trip fear and hospitality because I have never been treated so well and at the same time told so many times that I was going to die. <laughs> I mean, it was a daily experience. I mean, when I was in the Cape Province, headed towards, you know, um, basically, uh, there's the trans guy and the cis guy. Former, that's a, the, the place I live, and so uh, people just said, "This is a white guy, man. You go in there, you're dead. It's over." And uh, in fact, I had a farmer at one point. I, I ended up um, basically when I, I camped outside of where he, he was a he uh, a you know, I think it was a, a herd of, of sheep and it was a farm. And I, I pitched my tent near there. And then the more, the white white farmer came up to me and he asked me where I was going. And I said, this way. And he goes, um, no, no, you don't want to go this way. I, I'll show you the way you're going to go. And basically, it was going to be the truck route. Hmm, there's another
1: yeah, there theme. You go.
0: The truck route to Johannesburg. And it was up through the Orange Free State, completely avoiding the homelands. And uh, I uh, I said... You know, he goes, no, you can't go that way. He goes, they, meaning the blacks, they will kill you for that watch on your wrist. He goes, I, I live here. It's not, a, you know. And in the morning, he said, so what's your decision? What are you going to do? And I said, you know, uh, to be honest, I came to see South Africa, and I want to see all of it. And so I'm I'm going to head on on the road to, to uh, uh, I'm trying to remember the name of the town that it was, but into the cis guy. And uh, he goes, you know what, you're a fool. And you're a fool soon to be a statistic. And I tell you, you know, if enough people tell you to be afraid, sooner or later you are. Let just say the right. moment I entered the trance guy, I was invited into his schools and people's homes and whatever. Um, now, that's not to say that there is never danger, but it is to say the perception of it uh, is, is very different. And I also met a farmer who admitted at one point, he says, you know, you're safer than I am. He says, because wherever I travel, I have a nine millimeter on my passenger seat. And it's always there. There's always tension. And he goes, you're a crazy white guy on a bicycle. And people don't know what to do with you.
1: (laughs) So the bicycle not only uh, opens up opportunities to visit with people along the way, but perhaps provides a a strange layer of protection.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow.
1: Definitely. Very interesting. So what should people do if they want to take a bicycle tour of a country? What should they do to get ready? I mean, you mentioned making sure well, that you're strong enough and that sort of thing.
0: Sure. You know, I I write for, uh, for the Adventure Cycling Association. Their their magazine, Adventure Cyclist, and they're uh, America's largest non-profit organization that's solely, you know, geared towards bicycle travel. And they're just at AdventureCycling.org. And there's, they have, uh, you know, a series of routes all, and they're really based out of the United States. And a lot of times people kind of want to do something closer, you know, to home. And the great thing about the routes there is that they're they're kind of vetted, and they're usually, they work to be on the, the least trafficked roads. Although, you know, as more and more people are in the United States, uh, there are more, just more and more cars. Uh, and then, but there's just so many opportunities on the web or whatever to find. Uh, there's a website site that crazy guy in a bike, which is just a compilation of people's bike journals. I mean, literally thousands of them, and it, and it's organized by by region and by country and by year. And and so you can choose probably anywhere in the world and find somebody who's been there fairly recently. And it's always great to kind of get a perspective, you know, to do that. Um, but The one thing you need to do that so many people don't do is no matter how long a trip you're going to take and where you're going to take it, for God's sake, pack the stuff you're going to take or think you're going to take and go on at least a three or four day bike trip with it close to home because you will either discover that everything's okay or, like most people discover, you probably have 25 pounds too much that you're carrying. And it's so much easier to pedal at home than it is to mail at home when you're on the other side of the world. And I'm, it's amazing how many people plan for two years or do whatever, and then, and they've never done you know, that shakedown trip close to home with all the crap they're going to take with them. Um, and you know what? I've, I've met, you know, people say, well, if you, if you take too much gear, it's horrible. Well, it is for some people. And then, you know, I met a guy who literally spent nine months, I mean, he'd been on his bike for years. He spent nine months cycling Texas. I mean, this guy was just, he was, uh, he was extreme. I met him in Central America and he had two pineapples strapped to his bike and probably 110 pounds of gear. Oh, wow. And he still had a smile on his face. And I said, if you, you know, no matter what you put in your bike, if at the end of a long day you can still have a smile on your face, God bless you, man. Put, you know, carry it. But if you hate the world that you live on after you've traveled, you probably need to lighten your load. Uh, and, and that takes a while to get it down to what you need to take. And, you know, some people like to do the, the credit card travel thing. But to me, you know, ah, uh, I, that takes away so much because when you're staying at hotels and inns, you're a customer. I don't want to be a customer. I, I want to be a visitor. You know, I want to be a guest. And, and, and then there's, you know, there's warm showers, which is the couch serving equivalent of, of, um, you know, of places to stay. Warm showers is a, um, uh, website where people sign up and, and it's all cycle touring based, you know, so you can go to a city and, and go out there and see if you can find a place. And, and that's a great way to do it. Uh, I spent a week in Minneapolis and wrote a feature about that, and I stayed with different Warm Showers hosts in the city. There's, I think there's you know, 500 of them in, in Minneapolis. But you're also staying with people who are very like-minded to you. They're cyclists, they're truers, and that, that is, that's a positive. But at the same time, I think to me, travels about diversity, travels about staying with people who, who live different lives who worship a different god, who have a different kind of job, who have possibly voted for a different person for president. Um, that's the excitement of and the joy of travel, is being able to experience uh, people who are not like you, who you'd never think you'd be able to have a conversation with and, and leave you know their presence, not only understanding them, but finding out that you kind of like them as well. And we're so isolated the way we live now because even on the web, you know, you join your group of um, you know people, whether you're on Facebook or whatever, and, and it's all people who think the way you do and like the things you like. Uh, and that's good, but man, to have a well-rounded life or a travel, you need to get outside of that.
1: Oh, absolutely. I was going through your website a little bit earlier, and I had a... a you know every now and then I like to state something that's extremely obvious because it's not so obvious when you think about it um one of my favorites is that every person you date is the wrong person until the last one <laughs> and yeah uh, yeah that that can be really encouraging <laughs> if you're in the dating world but here's here's one that I realized looking at your website um I was looking at the pictures uh that you took of Columbia, which are delightful by the way Everyone you need to go to Willie's website um and see the the different pictures and videos and things he has posted there because they're really delightful. But I was looking at Columbia, and it just occurred to me, humans live there. <laughs> yeah, it sounds so obvious, but it's really not because of all the stereotypes that you already discussed. You know, we think of Columbia as something other, and frankly, a lot of people think of most places they haven't yet been as something other. And they think of themselves as not like that. But you go to those places, you interact with the people, and you realize, wow, I have a brother. I have a sister right here. Mm-hmm. Humans live there. Yeah. You know, once we get out of our stereotypes.
0: Yeah. Well, speaking of stereotypes, you know, uh, Kat and I, my wife and I, uh, did a uh, three-month bike trip in the Deep South. So back roads, uh, Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, South Carolina, into and uh, and, uh uh, Louisiana, and we, you know, st- a lot of back roads, and and one night it was raining like it was drizzling. This we we made the mistake of leaving in February. We thought, well, it's the deep south; it's going to be warm. I- I'm sorry, when it is really humid and 43 degrees, it's really cold. You know, I mean, God, we were, and we were looking for a place to camp, and I I was up on a porch and I knocked on a door, and this kid answered and he turned after i you know explained he turned around and i'll never forget what he said he said daddy there's a man in bicycle bridges on our porch looking for a place to camp and <laughs> i thought oh okay and the man came in, and he, he basically told us the high school we could camp there and oh, okay great and it's drizzling, and we get to the, we get to the high school, and it's, it's, like, flooded, you know, and then we get a and At this time, my wife and I were riding a tandem, and so we're looking at the fix, and it's always the back tire, and we're just on the verge of hypothermia. And this truck pulls up, and it's the guy with his wife, who probably, you know, probably uh, chewed his ear off for sending the travelers on their way.
1: <laughs> and they had, they
0: had this uh, pot of deer stew, and some sweet iced tea uh, for us and the guy says oh, put your put your bikes in the truck I wouldn't let my dog camp in this weather so we got back to their place and we ended up staying a couple of days because it never stopped raining they worked in, in uh, mills that were probably 65 70 miles away so they worked uh, uh, on the night shift and were' back for part of the day and so we saw them usually um, in the you know in the morning uh, and had a meal you know meals with them and uh, we we camped out in his workshop, which had this really great wood burning stove. So we had over the over the two and a half days, had time to, to spend with him. We laughed and just had a great time. And there was one moment where I looked over at this man and think and thought to myself, I voted for Al. He voted for George. He you know drives a five thousand pound diesel truck, and I ride a twenty eight pound bicycle. And, you know, he likes to hunt for deer and I hunt for discounts at the grocery store. (laughs) We couldn't be as different as two people could be.
1: This episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast is brought to you by 180TAC.com. 180TAC manufactures premier backpacking and emergency products. Whether you need a backpacking stove for your week-long trek on the trail or an emergency stove for your bug-out bag, we have the tools you need. Visit www.180TAC.com. Underwater Fantasies is your full-service scuba, snorkel, and travel center. We are a paddy five-star facility with an on-site indoor heated pool. We teach scuba classes several times a month from beginner to professional level certifications. Once you're certified, join us on one of our group trips or let us help you plan your own tropical getaway. Call us at 303-988-6725 or find us online at www.uwfantasies.com. That's U-W-P-H-A-N-T-A-S-E-A-S dot com.
0: Morning. The next morning came, and the sun was coming out, and we were getting ready to leave. And I went out to go help Todd because he, uh, he had some bales of hay that he'd take out to, to feed some of the, the cows that he had there. And man, God would lift those, lift a bale of hay like it was cotton, you know. And I went to go lift it and realized, oh my God, these things are like seventy-five pounds. I'm like, I'm oh, put it over there. <laughs> and so we're working away, and he's throwing them like you know nothing, and I'm you know just struggling along. And I said, you know, Todd, I have to be honest with you. I think if I was born here, that you know, I think I think I'd I think I'd been a hunter, you know, and I, I think I would have had hounds like you have. And and uh, God, this is just amazing. And he and he looked at me and he and he said, you know, Willie, he said, I think if I was born in the city, I think I'd been a bike rider. <laughs> and there was that moment, understand? Like you 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 know, and especially in this country, is as just at odds. Uh, the political parties are against, and it 's right and left and this and that. And as you mentioned, what we 've forgotten is that everybody everybody 's people, everybody's right. somebody 's father or son or daughter or mom, and they all have dreams and they all have and they all really want things to be all right and they love their families and, and you forget that when you spend too much time you know watching television news or, uh, or surfing the internet. Uh, And you get out there, and, uh, you know, I I often tell people who are thinking about taking a, uh, especially an international trip, I say the first thing you want to do is no television for the next two months, no television news. Just turn it off, because it's only going to make you want to lock your door and and hide in the closet.
1: Oh, yeah. Well, Willie, do you have a story for us about a time that things did not go right? How did you uh, manage that situation?
0: Sure. I mean, it it was... (sighs) It was probably, it was a turning point. It was the turning point, but it was it was definitely as much of a challenge as you could ever imagine. Um, so, I met Kat, uh, my wife, uh, at the Aurora Highland Ice Skating Arena in Seattle. She had come back. Uh, she was, had been in the Czech Republic, but she wasn't a cyclist. I'd come from South Africa. Uh, and was headed out to the Balkans, um, and I was already set to write for uh, a, a blog on the World Wide Web, which at the time was something that was brand new, and um, and I was doing stuff for public radio. So, you know, I had just met this woman who I fell madly in love with, and then I was leaving. I was leaving for five months, and it was one of the first adventures I didn't want to go on. Uh, and I left for the Balkans, and about five weeks after, and I'll, I'll save the the long story, but. Kat called me when I was in, in uh, Slovenia and uh, thought, you know, what it would be like to be on the trip. And after a couple of phone calls uh, later, um, she w- agreed to come. And I met her back in Budapest after having gone through Bosnia and Croatia. And um, the first time that she rode with Tanya's on a bicycle was from the airport in Budapest into downtown Budapest. And I asked her to marry me there. And fortunately, she said yes, because there was a moment where I thought, well, that was kind of awkward. What if she'd said no? Well, this is the time that things went right then, right? <laughs> well, well, see, then we, so we traveled for four months together. And, uh, you know, it was ups and downs, as, as anybody's first trip will be. And, and, of course, the first trip when you're spending 24 hours with, with somebody who you are, are madly in love with, but, you know, the reality of just that everyday life comes. Uh, one of the things about the Balkans and one of the reasons I decided to go there was that for the first time in over 60 years, an American could travel in all the countries of the Balkans because Enverhoja Hoxha had, had died uh, and, and who had ruled Albania with an iron fist for over 60 years. It was considered to be probably the most closed off country on the planet Earth, and it was Open now it was open in the sense that sometimes you get in, sometimes you couldn't. That seemed to be a crapshoot, but that was part of our journey. We had a, an optional route if we got turned away at the border, but we got a chance. And you know, we they led us across the border. We came from the Macedonia side and up uh, by Lake Orchid, and uh, if, if, it felt for the first time my life, I felt more like a, a a explorer than a traveler. And it was just obviously that I was in a country that felt like it was 200 years ago, in a place where you know there was there was going to be no Starbucks. There was going to be uh, you know, and it was it was incredible and it was beautiful. We were in a town called Kukas, uh, which is up in the north. And we were going to head over some, some some pretty gnarly mountains with not a whole lot of provisions available. So we'd done a lot of shopping that morning. We were about 20 kilometers outside of Cucas. We were coming up a small grade, probably 3%. And uh, there were three men on the left-hand side of the road. There was no traffic. I mean, this is mountain road. Um, and um, they crossed over to our side on the road and we thought you know here we go again because the official language in albania is cheap and it has no living uh equivalent in, in the world you know and and mm. so it's, it's really hard to understand and to communicate and everybody wanted to know what we were doing and so the, the gentlemen were there and and we stopped our bicycles and i looked over towards cat when i looked back that's when i saw that's when i saw the knife come out and that's when i saw the other two gentlemen had clubs and i raised my arms and just started to get off my bicycle to let them have it all. And that's when I got it. Um, they started beating me with the clubs. And uh, the next 90 seconds were just, you know, it was pain and blood and screams and horror. And there was that moment during it that my brain went to that part that they're not going to stop. Wow. And what a weird place to have my life end in this little road in Albania um, and uh, I managed to I had a you know uh, a waste pack, and I managed to undo it and throw it up at them and and uh, they were very very unhappy because uh, they only had nine dollars all of our our cash was in internal in, inside the frames of our bicycles. And uh but they needed to leave fast, so they fled. Um, they'd been beating me up pretty pretty good and Kat was yelling and she'd gotten one good good hit on the head which split her up and so she was bleeding uh pretty pretty well and, and we found ourselves, you know, bruised and bloody in the middle of this road and and uh we uh the first vehicle that came there was a vehicle finally that came by, you know, and we realized that we were, you know, we were okay. Um, and that vehicle, um, was a Mercedes and it was coming fast down the road. And I remember standing in the middle of the road and waving my arms. And I remember actually locking eyes with the driver and I watched him make the decision not to run me over because in that part of Albania, the good chances were that we were the setup for robbery that was going to happen to them. And they pulled right. over, and I remember, you know, and the woman came over, she took out a package of cigarettes and, and uh, snapped over three or four of them, and Kat cat looked at me and, and, and looked and said, I don't smoke, and they laughed, you know, because they were using the tobacco to help stop the bleeding. And uh, then, as soon as they could, they left us, because it's Albania, at least Albania at that time, and they were concerned they were going to be, you know, caught up in the, the whole thing. Uh, some villagers came by uh you know they'd taken uh, cameras and passports and and um, a woman found something and that she gave to cat uh that's one of the most amazing things, but people are going to have to read the book that travels with Willie to find out what that is because it's way too long a story um, travels with Willie yeah and so um we yeah, the police arrived 45 minutes later in a bus. They didn't have a patrol car. And so the guy's got this situation where he's got a couple of Americans, uh, foreigners who uh, had bikes and they've been robbed. And so what he does is the first truck that comes along the road, and again, there were not many you know, vehicle every 10 minutes or so, the policeman pulled out his gun and, and basically accused the driver of being involved in the crime. This guy now has to take us anywhere we go. We go back to Kukus and we, you know, get interrogated and, you know, that we can end, end up being brought back to the family that we stayed with the night before we had to get new passports. Uh, and the sons uh, agreed to drive us to Tirana, to the to main capital. But, you know, when something like that happens, Man, you just want to, you just want to get the hell out of Dodge. You just want to leave. I mean, you know, want right. to get on the first train or bus or spaceship, anything that comes along. And, and fortunately for us, that you know, there that wasn't available. And so when we got to Tirana, and the, the brother, the sons let us off. We had to, you know, wait to, for our passports. And we realized that if our trip ended there, that was going to be it. And if we didn't get back on the bikes then the thieves were going to have stolen a lot more than passports and cameras and journals and whatnot. They would have, they would have stolen our adventurous spirits. And we were bound and determined not to let them do that. But now this is Kat's first bike trip. And I said, she's really the one who's the the brave person because, you know, I'd already been traveling for years over dec you know, decade plus. And, uh, you know, there's the big scale of life, you know, and you get all these positive things, and you pile up on one side and okay, a couple of crappy things happen. But th- again, this being our first trip, that, that experience weighted a lot more. And we sat down on the bed in our hotel room and for four and a half hours, we told each other stories of our trip And we went over every meal and every amazing experience we had with people, and the people had invited us in their homes. One, one couple, elderly couple, who had, because Kat was sick, had given up their bed and slept in the kitchen so that Kat had a place to sleep. These boys in Bulgaria, when we came into town and there was no hotel, and they didn't want us to camp, so they went and knocked on doors until they found somebody who would take us in. A couple in Romania, uh, we called them Grandma and Grandpa Buna because uh, we met them in that little town and trying to find directions. And uh, Mr. Buna invited us home for a drink, and we stayed for three days. One of the things that we we didn't, hadn't had the opportunity during our journey was to go inside an Orthodox Romanian church because, God, we had, we had bicycle clothes, and that just didn't feel right. And we had mentioned that because there was somebody in town who could translate that. And uh, Grandma Buna then... Uh, grabbed cap by the hand and we, I followed, we went up on the ladder up into the loft and she opened up this trunk that the next day was Sunday and she dressed us in traditional Romanian clothing and we walked hand in hand with our grandparents. Those are the stories we told each other. And after four and a half hours, that robbery and his, and and the wealth still on our bodies just didn't feel as horrible as it had in the road. And, uh, so we, we got back on our bikes, which wasn't easy. I mean, I'll tell you, the first night that we camped, we, we took the train to get away from city traffic. And the first, you know, they, they were still there. Kids had thrown rocks at us that day. And we had a guy that kind of pulled out and headed his car towards us and kind of laughed in the process. And um, we took off this little path up into the hills to find a place to just discreetly camp, and this little goat path. And we are I was setting up my tent, and I realized that my hands were trembling. And Kat looked at me and said, tell me we're going to be okay. And that is the moment that I hated those thieves the most. Because that was the right. first time in my life that I'd been afraid camping out away from, you know, any, any you know from a city or town. But it was something we, you know, we needed to get over. And uh, so we got on our, our bikes and kept going, and we ended up in Greece, and uh, where I was supposed to originally meet cat at the Parthenon, when she wasn't going to be part of the of the bike trip and you know we've been on gosh eight major trips since the next one actually the next one was probably in the most safe country that i've, that I've traveled in and that was cuba um and so uh yeah and and, and i tell I'm, i don't hesitate to tell that story i think sometimes people think oh leave out the bad parts because you'll scare people away i mentioned earlier in our our chat That The great thing about a bicycle is that you're vulnerable, but you are vulnerable. And the thing about adventure is that it's not all safe. The moment it's all safe, it's a vacation. The moment there aren't any risks is the moment that you don't have the rewards that come with those risks. And, you know, I'm, I'm willing to risk having a situation like that happen again so much more than I am willing... To sit on my butt in front of a television and be afraid with a channel changer for the rest of my life.
1: Very well said. Yeah, I mean, it takes a lot to come back from an experience like that and and say, you know what? I still made the right choice. I'm going again. Mm -hmm. But you've got to live your life.
0: People get run over. People get run over in the street two blocks away from their home going to get groceries. You know, you can't can't predict life. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. Well, hey, I mentioned earlier that you have two books that you've written. Will you
0: tell us about those? Sure. Uh, Spoke Songs, which was the first book that came out, is basically a compilation of the commentaries that I wrote for public radio um, from three journeys: one, the journey from India; the next, the journey from South Africa; and the the third, the journey in the Balkans. I call it Spoke Songs for a couple of reasons. The the first book is that when I was in theater, uh, one of the magical shows that I was in, I played the trick cyclist in a show called Spoke Songs. And it was about a bike shop in Northern Ireland, and, uh, oh, it was just it was great. So when it came to title something, but at the same time, my commentaries that I started writing for public radio needed to be short. They needed to be three to five to eight minutes, uh, but three to five minutes, kind of the length of a song. Uh, they're just reflections on the road. It, it's not necessary necessarily linear. You know, because they were read week by week on on, on the radio. Uh, so rather than a "this day we're here and here we go," there there are more of these little songs from from these three journeys. Spoke Songs is gosh, it came out in 1997, and uh, the only way you're going to get a physical copy of it is to go to my website because it's it's now quote officially out of print, but it is available uh, on Amazon as a as a Kindle book or an e-book. And then Travels with Willie is a compilation of of some of my favorite columns and and features that I have written for Adventure cyclists uh, over the years. But I'm not a gear guy, you know. I, I'm not a. This is what your gear ratio should be, or this is the kind of post you need to buy or or whatever, Um, I'm more interested in the people. So Travels with Willie is is about, gosh, it's it's about, you know, Thailand and Turkey. It's about, uh, you know, embarrassing episodes. It's it's about rediscovering my relationship with my father. It's it's about ice cream and kindness. Uh, And and, and in the long run, I think that uh, it's it's a book that can be enjoyed by people who aren't going to bike at all, but at the same time, anybody who has thought about touring by bicycle will will find the inspiration there from from somebody who isn't uh, i mean i'm not an athlete i mean for god's sake i was i was on the bowling team in high school that is a letterman jacket you don't wear even though you've earned it you know <laughs> uh, you know i'm a perfect example of that that you don't need to to be an athlete to get a bike and that is one of the great things about a bicycle because of its gears you know You don't have to be Lance or, or, you know, some sort of super athlete to get where you're going to go. You know, you meet people on the road that you just can't believe what they've accomplished. Right now, if you're a member of Venture Cycling Association and get their magazine, you'll have just uh, read a a column that I wrote about a 13-year-old kid that I wrote with last year based on an email that he sent me. And this kid ended up riding the Sierra Cascades route from Mexico to Canada. And a feature is coming out next month in the magazine uh, about our journey together. And I have to say it's one of the most uh, rewarding experiences I've ever had in my life. And this kid who is actually right now, his name is Zeke, he he started from um, the East Coast and he's bicycling. He's now 14, bicycling across America from East to West. And I'm going to have the privilege of meeting him in Yosemite and uh, finishing the trip uh, and actually going down a mountain pass that I climbed when I was 13 years old because so, I'm from Sacramento, California. And I look forward to uh, meeting back up with, with Zeke, who I got to call a true friend after uh, after traveling with him. When when oh, I first met me. him, uh, and I'm sure he's Gale a Weight, he's, he's, he weighed 77 pounds. Man, if you want <laughs> oh, inspiration, uh, that if you have the gumption to do something, this kid I, I just can't wait to see what he is going to do with his life because whatever it is, it's going to be amazing. Wow,
1: well, hey, do you have a short, funny story to close out the program for us? Wow,
0: somebody to ask does Willie, do you have any short stories? Um, <laughs> I, was in, I was in India, I was in India, and uh, you know um, basically the rules of the road of India is the biggest bigger vehicle has the right of way. Uh, you know, and means that as a bicyclist, you can end up in a ditch because, uh, you know, when the truck comes towards you. And I I was, you know, several months into my trip and I had three different maps because they're all not very accurate and they all told me the wrong story and I was lost and it was hot and dusty and I had failed to yield right away a couple of times that day and, and I was not in a good mood. And... um on the side of the road, and there's this little, and this kid on a scooter, he scoots right up to me, and he says, one minute of your time? Now, I've been in India long enough to know that if I gave everybody a minute of my time to ask for it, man, I was going to run out of minutes really fast. So I kind of ignored him. And he said, one minute of your time? One minute of your time? One minute of your time? Sir, I am talking. Sir, I am talking. Sir, sir, <laughs> sir, I am talking. You know what? I, you know, I just didn't want to deal with it today. And I got on my bike, and I just pedaled off sir i'm talking sir i'm talking sir i'm talking as he scooted along the side of me and and uh, i thought to myself oh my god with my luck this kid has a full tank of gas you know sir i'm talking sir and finally i slammed on my brakes and i said all right all right you have got one minute go and the kid looked at me and said i am god oh
1: god <laughs> I, I thought, well, You know,
0: what are you supposed to do when a 12 year old boy, you know, tells you that he's a deity? He looked at me again with earnestness and said, I am God. Well, great. What am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to bow your feet? Am I supposed to give you my visa card? I have no idea. And, so, and he said, and then it was, Sir, I am talking. Sir, I am talking. Sir, I am talking. Sir, I am talking. And finally, I hit my limit and I exploded. I exploded with just a kind of venom. I said, get out of my face, leave me alone, you, I won't say what I said, um, but it was a a string of obscenities and whatever, and the kid, his eyes get really big, and he, he looked at me and he held out his hands and he said, 100 rupees. And I thought to myself, not only is this kid wasting my time, he is now going to have me bribe him to leave me alone? And the look that obviously went over my face was so horrifying that the kid's eyes just shot up like saucers. He ran, tripped over himself, and got on his scooter and scooted off. And I thought to myself, wow, man, thank Krishna that is over. Man, I'm on my way <laughs> out of here. And I, I decided to get on my bike and track. I didn't care if I was going the wrong way. And I cycling down the road, and it wasn't more than... I don't know, maybe a kilometer down the road when I, it dawned on me and I started to laugh and I laughed until tears ran down my face as I realized what that kid had meant to say was, I am guide. Uh, Now he's speaking to me in probably his third language, God guide. They're pretty darn close. And you know what? A hundred rupees for a guide for the day is actually a pretty good price. And I would gladly Pay him 100 rupees to hear his side of the story.
1: <laughs> well, hey, there's something to, to learn from that experience, too, huh? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it's when we stop connecting with people and hearing them and understanding
0: them <laughs> that we lose oh, yeah. out on those oh, great opportunities. Yeah. And, you know, no matter how hard you try, you know, I n- realize no matter how hard I try, at some point during my travels, I am an ugly American. Um, And I I try not to be, but sometimes you are.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Well, Willie, you have shared some beautiful insights and amazing stories with us today, and I have thoroughly enjoyed our time together.
0: Sorry for the lack of gear tips.
1: (laughs) Well, this really isn't the gear show. This is the human interest show and the adventure show, and, and I think you provided that in spades. So. How can people get in touch with you?
0: I'm at uh, willieweir.com, uh, a, a website that's woefully out of date. My wife and I blog on a, on a site called yellowtentadventures.com, uh, and, and uh, it's typically when we're on the road, and you can find stuff there. Uh, also, I do a, a bi-monthly uh, post called Sights and Sounds, on the Adventure Cycling, uh, so adventurecycling.org, if you go to their blog and, and then they have categories, and if you go to Sites and Sounds, I have probably uh, almost 200 posts that uh, are just that. I mean, there are audio clips and some video, but mostly just photos from different journeys that I and, and Kat and I have taken throughout the world. And, and if you're looking for a little dose of uh, inspiration uh, of, of travel, you, uh, you could go there.
1: Very nice, and I want to make sure that our listeners hear again that you are also a motivational speaker, so you travel for various speaking engagements. Yeah,
0: I do. I I speak at everything from primary schools to bicycle clubs to uh, universities, Uh, and sometimes the talks are uh, bicycle advocacy-based, and sometimes they're just just travel-based often when i if i draw a big crowd in seattle um, doing a talk i'd say that sometimes over half the audience in the crowd aren't cyclists at all and it's it's just it's just more it's more about the travel but i i do a presentation for primary school and and also for middle school and high school but the one for primary school is called the world's greatest suv because i think that's what the bicycle is it is the world's greatest sports utility vehicle and it, it's really great to be able to talk with kids and get them to understand that they already have the best vehicle they don't have to wait until they're 16 and spend a lot of money on a car because the the better adventure vehicle is the one there they already got
1: oh that's great well willie thank you very much again for your time today
0: my pleasure
1: and to all of our friends listening out there thank you for your time and until the next show get out there and have some fun like to be a guest on a future show just go to adventuresportspodcast.com and click the contact us button